Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. I'm Paige and welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Paige. I'm armed. Got my coffee right here. Today we're going to continue our sojourn into 1 Thessalonians. Uh, just to bring us up to speed, in Acts chapter 17, Paul visited Thessalonica and according to what I've been able to figure out, he spent five or six months there, got run out of town, and uh, and then he went to Berea, which is just down the road. Same people ran him out of town in Thessalonica, followed into Berea, ran him out of town there, and then he went from down there to from there down to Athens, and then over to Corinth. And he's in Corinth right now, and he's writing this letter back to the church of Thessalonica. So let's just uh, remind ourselves where he's at. Let's look at the just the first part of chapter 17 um, of Acts. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. Now, it was Paul's practice, as was his custom. Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. That's not an unimportant fact there. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, in other words, thugs, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they didn't find them, they caught, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there's another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. They made Jason and the others postpone and let them go. All right, so then they escorted Paul out of town. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, that's where Paul went after Thessalonica, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. All right, that's where we're at. Paul has gone to Thessalonica, spent five or six months there, and he has uh, been chased out of town. And this raises a couple questions, and we're going to get into it in today's readings. Um, before we get going, though, I am just really, really impressed with something. I, I paid a little money and got an annual membership to something called Bible Gateway. And it has a truckload of resources, maps, commentaries, uh, original language, Lots of, oh my goodness, lots of good stuff that has really proven helpful to me. One of the things I like to do when I'm reading a passage of scripture is, like an old preacher once put, he said, I want to feel the sand between my toes. I, I want to get as much information as, as I can surrounding a passage because these are just words that were written almost 2,000 years ago. And I want to get a feel for what was going on in the world around this person that wrote these letter, these words. And what was going on culturally, historically, all that. 
and these help these study helps provide a lot of material another study help that I don't want you to look down on is something called Wikipedia um, now Wikipedia is it's like an open source thing anybody can add anything they want but much of the material that's there is very 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 well researched and good to use and I borrowed some of it for today's Bible study so having said that let's go to chapter 2 shall we you know brothers and sisters that our visit to you was not without results some uh, now you got to realize Paul when he, he's writing this he has to explain why he left or remind them about why he left and that's what this first part's about he says you know our visits to you our visit to you was not without results other translations translate that word as failure so let's look at that you know brothers and sisters our visit to you was not a failure the NIV's translation of Kenya as failure is better rendered here as insincere really Paul then is defending the honesty of his motives during his past visit rather than the positive results of that visit so apparently and we're going to see this here in a little bit Paul has to spend some time defending his motivations now realize that these people that are persecuting him are not the people from within the church they're people from the Jewish religious community that are responsible for pushing him out of town. And they are going to, uh, they're not above telling lies about people. They're not above exaggeration. And so the, the odds are these people were trying to spend, spread lies and innuendos about Paul and his visit there. So let's continue on. He says here, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, which is true, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. Now, it was common back then for there's traveling orators who would speak on various things and for money. They were professional speakers. And Paul's saying, I'm not a professional speaker. I didn't come there to make money off of you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery. Nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. Again, he's referring to these professional orators. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. So he's saying, I, I'm not one of those professional orators. orators. I didn't come to make money off of you. Um, and if you remember correctly, uh, there's, there was actually two offerings sent to him at Thessalonica from the church at Philippi. And so it's possible that his detractors, his enemies, they could bring that up. Look, he's making money off this. Look at this. He's making money. Look at the offerings he received. He's 
he made it a point to not be a burden to them so that he wouldn't take money from them. So let's see here. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Now stop and think about that. He says, as a nursing mother cares for her children, we cared for you. Does a mother take money from her children? Does a mother uh, need her children to support her? No, the mother supports the children. And that's, again, he's just saying, look, I didn't take anything from you. In any, if there's any picture that portrays what happened here, it's the fact that I was more like a mother to you. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. Paul wasn't above working as a leather worker or tent maker. He wasn't above supporting himself. In fact, he did that as often as he could. Uh, Paul made it a point to not be a financial burden on those who he was ministering to. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Here's a little note from the, one of the commentaries. This is the third familial metaphor Paul employs, child, mother, father. He defines his fatherly task as encouraging, comforting, and urging. Paul was innocent as a child, loving as a mother, and nurturing as a father. He was a living example of Jesus' summary of the Torah. Love God. Love your neighbor. Verse 13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. All right, he's reminding them, that Paul wasn't the only focal point of the persecution. He said, you were persecuted along with us. You suffered like we did and suffered like Jesus did. He says, they displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. That's an interesting passage. I wonder what he's talking about. Well, I've got a lot, some stuff down here. He says, the wrath of God has come upon them at last. Was that something that was imminent or had it already happened? In other words, was it coming or had it already happened? Here's uh, something I got from our commentary. There's a number of national disasters that the Jews suffered to which Paul might be referring. There was a famine in AD 46, the banishment from Rome in AD 49, persecutions under Tiberius Alexander. It's also possible, however, that the apostle is writing about something that's coming, an imminent judgment rather than a past one. Remember, Paul visited Thessalonica around AD 49 to 51. Now here's another note. Paul might be thinking of a recent event or he may be looking to the imminent coming of Christ or the present 
in the or to the presence of the kingdom. The best option is to view it in light of Romans 1, where wrath is revealed in the present time. In other words, he's maybe referring to something that has just happened. God gives the wicked over to the ways, and they end up persecuting those who are following the Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. Now, here is something that might that could be what Paul is talking about. Here's a possible reason for the anger of the Jewish community towards Paul and the way. There is a brief statement in this document called Divus, Divus Claudius 25, mentions agitations by the Jews, which led Claudius, Roman Empire emperor, to expel them from Rome. And here's the quote. Since the Jews constantly made disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, or Christ, he, the Emperor Claudius, expelled them from Rome. This passage may suggest that in the mid-first century, the Romans still viewed Christianity as a Jewish sect. Now, this would cause conflict. They pictured the Jewish community as being responsible because they, picked, they, because they figured that this thing called the Way was indeed a Jewish sect. And so they, because of the fuss being raised over Christ, the Christ, he expelled Jews from Rome. And the Jews who came, fled from Rome or were pushed out of Rome would probably hold someone like Paul personally responsible and go after them. So wherever Paul went after AD 49, which is about the time he's at Thessalonica, he would become a focal point for these Jews who were kicked out of their homes and ordered to remove themselves from Rome. Now, Rome may have viewed the way, the way, which is what Christianity was called then, as a Jewish sect, but it's clear many in Judaism did not and resented those new believers. It's easy to see that if Rome had expelled Jewish residents due to Christ, that they would be bitter and vengeful. Well, then why was Paul so defensive sounding in what we just read? A careful reading reveals that Paul is defending himself against attacks on his integrity and the genuineness of his motives. He says stuff like, uh, as you know, we previously suffered and been treated outrageously, as you know. And he's reminding them of his behavior. Non-Christians in Thessalonica accused Paul of being no different than any other wandering philosopher teachers of the day. Those who taught and spoke only to receive money and praise. There are enough clues available to see how unbelievers in Thessalonica opposed to this new religious movement founded by Paul might spin certain facts in a way which the apostles' integrity would be questioned. The fact that Paul received money at least twice from the Philippian church during his original ministry in Thessalonica, and we find that in the book of Philippians, the fact that Paul converted among Thessalonica not a few prominent, i.e. wealthy women, in other words, he's attracting big money, as well as Jason, who is rich enough to host the missionaries and post bond for them. The fact that Paul abruptly left the Thessalonian church, leaving them orphaned, and has not yet returned to Thessalonica, or, prior to this letter, even written them. All this information could easily be used by opponents in the, of the Thessalonian church to question the integrity of his founder. It would not be hard to see this campaign mounted against Paul, where they would use all these things, Wealthy, prominent people were attracted to the gospel. 
and money is power. And so they would say Paul is a money-grubbing philosopher orator. That's what they would say. And that's why Paul probably went out of his way not to use that money. He said, we worked among you. We supported ourselves. The Philippian church sent us money so that we would not have to use your money. He wasn't afraid to use their money because they were poor and, and he didn't want to make them poorer. He didn't want to use their money because there was a lot of money there. And Paul was probably very much aware of what that would do to his reputation. Let's go on verse 17. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked away. This is interesting. The verb encopto, which literally means to cut into, originally referred to the military practice of cutting up a road so as to make it impossible for a pursuing army to pursue them. Paul wants his readers to know that his present absence from them is not due to his personal choice, but to the activity of Satan, who in typical military fashion has destroyed the apostles' path back to Thessalonica. These Jews who chased him out of Thessalonica are making it very difficult for him to come back. Not only would Paul be in danger, but his appearance would probably put the Thessalonians, Christians, in danger. And Paul recognizes that, and he's staying away. He says, for what is our hope, our joy, our crown, in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you're our glory and joy. You know, he viewed them as a crown. And the kind of crown he's talking about here is not like a tiara, a king or a queen. It's the crown given to the victor in, a, in an Olympic Games type event. He's saying they are proof of him winning that race in Thessalonica. That they are proof and his glory. And the fact that he did what he was called to do in Thessalonica. And he viewed the Thessalonian church fondly as proof of his ministry. That it was valid and that it was right. Now, here's another note. Paul defends his absence from Thessalonica. When persecutions arose, he and Silas went to Berea, a departure which may have caused doubt and grumbling about Paul, though Acts 17.10 does say it was the believers who sent Paul away. Paul describes the separation here as being orphaned from them. He left them with great reluctance and made repeated efforts to return. Absence does not mean apathy. Paul long to return to the Thessalonians, but Satan blocked his way. Paul gives no details of this hindrance, but it could have been a natural occurrence that he attributed to supernatural sources. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. Either way, Paul speaks of Satan as a foe whose opposition to the spread and encouragement of the gospel is felt. Paul's original departure from Thessalonica and his inability to return were both the result of the same persecution that the believers in that city are currently experiencing. Now here's a reflection. Persecution for one's faith in Christ is normal and expected feature 
of the Christian life. In fact, there are many Christians in the world, brothers and sisters in places like Laos, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Sudan, Pakistan, Indonesia, China, to mention a few, who experience this truth every day in the form of church burnings, closings, harassments, fines, arrest, imprisonment. And although believers in North America and elsewhere enjoy a certain measure of freedom and protection, they too ought to expect and be willing to be ridiculed and oppressed for their commitment to Christ. Eventually, our faith, your faith, my faith, will be held in contempt. Well, in fact, right now it is held in contempt by the world. Just because we live in America does not mean we will not face this kind of ridicule or persecution someday. That's what Thessalonica was experiencing. That's what Paul was experiencing. The Jewish community was trying so hard to expel the way, which is what Christianity was called then, from their midst. They wanted to push them away. They did not consider Christians a sect within Judaism, even though the Messiah was Jewish and the original apostles were Jewish. And Paul was Jewish. They wanted to reject everything about this movement. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I mean, in a peculiar way, not funny as a joke. Many times, true followers of God's biggest enemy is the religious community. When I was in Russia, oh gosh, maybe about 15, 16, almost 20 years ago now, I guess. Over 20 years ago. When I was in Russia, the evangelical church's biggest enemy was the Russian Orthodox Church who were working in cahoots with the government. And many times, it would harass local bodies, getting them kicked out of their buildings of worship, uh, sometimes harassing individual believers. There was a pastor who had to walk past his house that used to be his family's house for generations on his way to preach at a church, and it had been taken away from his father. The church had tried to buy a piece of property to build a, a building on, and the only piece of property that the local government would give them would be a, was a swamp. So for 10 years or so, everybody who's a member of that church carried buckets with them and they'd fill the buckets with dirt and rocks. And every time they passed by the swamp, they'd dump a bucket of dirt and slowly but surely pushed the swamp back. When it came time, when they had enough land to build a church on, they started bringing bricks. Everybody would bring a brick here or a brick there or a couple bricks here or a couple bricks there. And when there was enough bricks to do something, a brick mason in that church would use those bricks and build as much as he could. By the time we visited that church, it was beautiful. And the property was beautiful. And they had taken what the local government meant for evil and turned it into something very good and very beautiful. Now, we don't face that kind of opposition here in America. But we would be foolish to think that means America loves the Christian faith. Paul, as a believer, expected exactly what he got, opposition. He knew he would go to the, he would go to the, the synagogue first. 
and present Jesus, defend and preach Jesus as Messiah, why he had to be the Messiah, why he had to die, why he had to be resurrected. He would preach Jesus as Messiah and attract the ire and disdain of many in that religious community. And then he would go to the Gentiles and then he would work with whatever God gave him. And so the church at that time was becoming more and more Gentile and less and less Jewish and persecution was part of that package. Paul's assuring the Thessalonians here that he did not desert them. He's not a coward. He cares for them. And I kind of get the feeling that he feels that his presence in Thessalonica would be would make things much worse for them because he was a lightning rod. He was well-known in the Christian community. He was also well-known in the Jewish community. He had been a Pharisee of the Pharisees, if you remember correctly. He had been trained by Gamaliel. So Paul's words carried weight. So it looks like Paul is on the defensive here. Tomorrow we'll get to chapter 3, and uh, we'll see what else Paul has to say. I am truly enjoying this time in Thessalonians. I hope you are too. All right, I'm Paige, here's my coffee, and I am out of here.